The following resource is from lmpc.org and we're delighted to provide it freely to all. If you feel led to give towards the ministry of Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church, we welcome you to do so at lmpc.org give. Our reading this morning comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Hear the word of the Lord. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We are continuing in our study of the book of Deuteronomy. We are in the second sermon of Deuteronomy, a series of three sermons in this book. God's design is that the people of God would receive the preaching of His Word and His truth as they prepare to enter into the Promised Land. This is the second generation that Moses is speaking to. They're on the plains of Moab. They're on the the edge of the promise, as it were. And God has designed for His people to be encouraged through preaching, which we continue today. The preaching of God's Word that shapes and encourages the people of God as we face all sorts of things in our life. This passage is the centerpiece of the second sermon, the Shema, uh, the something that was recited in Judaism daily, every day, a central passage in the scriptures. I once asked a number of theologians, if you were to list the top 10 verses of the Bible, if you were to say these 10 verses, you could describe our faith. Every one of them said Deuteronomy 6 verse 4, because it speaks of who our God is. So as we prepare to hear this word, let's pray that the Lord will shape our hearts by His Spirit. Our Father, we do pray. We trust Your Word that You say You send it forth when Your Spirit attends it. We change. Things get shaped, transformed. And we are in need of that, every one of us. We need further transformation, further change unto the conformity of your son. And we in this moment believe, and we tell you, we believe your word shapes us by your spirit. So come, pour out your spirit, bring forth your word, and shape us. For your glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. Edith Schaefer tells a story. She tells a story of a man from the Lisu tribe far out in China. There was in him a great longing for a God he did not know. 
One day as he traveled a mountain path, he found a page torn from a Lisu Christian catechism. He read it. It said, are there more gods than one? The answer, no, there's only one God. Should we worship idols? The answer, no. The rest was torn away. That was all he had. He went home and destroyed his altars. Immediately, his daughter became very ill. His neighbors taunted him for making the the gods, the demons angry. The man remembering what he had read thought, well, if there is one true God, perhaps I can reach him with my voice. And so he knew nothing about prayer, but he climbed to the top of the highest peak in the vicinity thinking he might get near 12 or 14,000 feet high. And he shouted out, oh, one true God, if you really are there and you are the one I am to worship, Please make my little girl well again. It took a long time to climb back down, but upon arriving home, he found his little girl completely well. No time of recoup needed. And she had recovered, he discovered, at the very time he had prayed. The man became a very effective evangelist across the entire area. And Edith Schaefer says this, there will be so many stories to compare with this man's that I picture us taking thousands of years to hear them all. The stories of the one true God powerfully at work in the world would would blow our minds if we could hear all of them. And the truth of this story is that indeed there is one true God. And he is active in this world. Yahweh, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God in flesh, Jesus Christ. And as there is only one true God, it is right that that God calls for complete devotion. This morning, I want us to look at just two points, the mandate for that devotion and the method for complete devotion. First, consider the mandate in verse four. Who is worthy of complete devotion? The single and supreme God. Just take verse four slowly. Here. Here. Don't let that be lost on you, that one word, because it tells you a whole lot about our faith. It tells you a whole lot about our God. Different than the false gods of Egypt or Canaan, Yahweh speaks. Yahweh tells his people that through Moses, you're a people who hear because unique to every other God, he speaks. You don't have to figure out what he wants, what he wills by some manipulative coercion. You just need to listen. 
You just need to listen to the voice of God through the people he ordains to speak the word of God. And for us, we need to listen to the written word of God here. See, this is why it's fundamental to the Christian faith. We're a people of the word. We're a people. Our faith is based on what? Hearing. Our God speaks. But also he says, hear therefore, O Israel. Hear, O Israel. That name was the covenant special name God had given to his dear people who he made covenant with. That you remember he would repeat over and over, I brought you out of the land of Egypt. I've rescued you from bondage. I've made covenant with you. I've given you a special name. You're mine, you belong to me. You are hearing, when you listen to your God, you are hearing a loving, covenantal God. You are hearing one that John would write of later in 1 John 4.10. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. You see, our faith and the one we hear is based on his initiative, his covenant making, his loving us. That's the one you open your ears to. And then he says, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. One. Such a contrast from the Egyptian polytheism they had just left. Such a challenge to the Canaanite polytheism they'll enter into. And God wants to make very clear to the people, there is a single supreme God. It is your God, Yahweh, the God of Israel. What does it mean that God is one? You may ask that because I heard he's three in one. The point that Moses is making here is really understood when you hear the scribe's response to Jesus. When Jesus asked in Mark 12, what's the greatest commandment? The scribe announces to Jesus, he says, because Jesus quotes the Shema, he says this right here. And the scribe says, you're right, teacher. You have said, now listen to him. He says, you have said that he is one and there is none beside him. That really is a two-fold definition of what this means. The scribe said exactly what it means. It means this, there is integrity to God, there is singularity to God. God is one, meaning he is undivided, he is unchangeable, he is completely consistent to his very being, and thus he is worthy of trust and devotion. That's the integrity, but the singularity is, as the scribe said, there's none besides him. There's no other God. Yes, we have idols. They're false gods. They're actually no gods at all, as the scripture says, but they, we make them real in our hearts. The singularity of God is a doctrine that if you really believe it, will change the complete orientation of your life. 
If there's one, he is worthy of your complete devotion. And there is only one, our God, the covenant God, Yahweh. As I spent time in India, fascinating with at last count, according to different studies, 330 million plus objects of worship in India. Indians are looking anywhere and everywhere for rescue, for salvation. I heard similar stories that Edith Schaefer told of villages where witch doctors came to Christ and idols would fall off the walls of their home and people would find healing under the name of the one true God. I've heard them stories, I've seen the people. But you may know that in this moment in India, there's great persecution of Christians. And I'm struck by that. Why would a Hindu culture who believes in 330 million plus objects of worship object to Christianity? It's because of this very verse. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You see, Christianity is offensive to the Indian people because it says those 330 million plus are no gods at all. We're not just doing addition. We're saying there's only one. One God, one way, one being worthy of the complete devotion of the human heart. And therefore, the call is in verse 5. What is a worthy response? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. That all is this deep biblical definition of love that John Frame so put so well when he said, biblical love is your allegiance, your actions, and your affection. It's all three. It's way beyond the emotive, it it does include that. It's way beyond mere conformity and obedience, it includes that, but it's all the more. It's way beyond loyalty, it's all three of those allegiance and action and affection, that this God is worthy of our allegiance, our actions, our affections, all towards him. The oneness of the Lord is matched by the oneness of our devotion, rightly, rightly. Jesus would represent this, wouldn't he? When he said, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. Complete devotion is far more than lip service. It's all. Just listen with me for a second. I just want to walk you through. This is, the rest of Deuteronomy really is a commentary on this mandate. Just listen to the emphasis in Deuteronomy and consider how you think about Christianity. Consider how you think about your faith. Is it with that word all? Chapter 4, 29. If from there you seek the Lord your God, you'll find him if you look for him with all your heart and all your soul. 
Chapter 10, verse 12. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God? To walk in all his ways. To love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Chapter 11, 13, so if you faithfully obey the commands I'm giving you today to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart, with all your soul. You see, I preached at Church of the Firstborn last night. They would now be saying back with me, all, all, all. We would, we would be developing this rhythm, you see. So I'll keep going. Chapter 26, verse 16. The Lord your God commands you this day to follow these decrees and laws and carefully observe them with all your heart and with all your soul. That's right. The Lord your God, verse 6 of chapter 30, will, will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. Chapter 30, verse 10. If you obey the Lord your God and keep his commands and decrees that are written in this book of law and turn to the Lord your God with your heart and y'all getting it. We can do this. You get the message? All I did is read the Bible. Deuteronomy. How many of us in our Christian faith is just some? It's just a little. It's just a portion. It's casual. Dallas Willard, in his book, Renovation of the Heart, says this about casual Christianity. The idea that you can trust Christ and not intend to obey him is an illusion generated by unbelieving Christian culture. In fact, you can no more trust Jesus and not intend to obey him than you could trust your doctor or your auto mechanic and not intend to follow their advice. If you don't intend to follow their thought, their word, you don't trust them, period. Do we trust God? Do we trust Jesus? We would follow him. We would follow him with all our heart and all our soul. We would, we would actually live out that great verse in when I survey the wondrous cross. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my Complete devotion for God is the mandate. What's the method? Well, the method, as you read in verses 6 through 9, involves things like your hands and your foreheads and your house and your gates. And what you learn from that is there's this threefold method. Your, your hands and your foreheads involve you as an individual. The house involves the family, and the gates involves the culture, the society. So it's a, it's a threefold method for complete devotion to God. And the first is the truth of Scripture written on the heart. Verse 6, 
And those, these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. The heart. The method for complete devotion to God is to get his law, his word into your heart. The very essence of your being to be very careful to take in to our lives, to act upon it. Jeremiah and Ezekiel both point to the reality of the new covenant that the word would be written on the hearts of the people. The spirit would be put in them. And listen, in light of the plentiful ways our minds and our eyes and our ears and our hearts are bombarded with falsehood and error, It is absolutely vital if we're to have complete devotion to God that we become soaked, saturated, and satiated with Scripture. What what verse 6 is not saying is trust your heart. That's the message of the culture. John Calvin said the surest source of destruction to men is to obey themselves. Go ahead, trust your heart. It'll be unto destruction. For the heart is deceitful above all things. You can't trust your heart. That's why he says the real question here is that is who gets to narrate your heart? You see, self-narration is a path to destruction, but scripture narration is the way to life. You cannot get enough Bible, very simply. If we're to have complete devotion to God, we have to get the word of God, the law of God into our hearts. For Jeremiah, it became something that was the delight of his heart. He ate it. Jesus said in Matthew 4, we live by it. The writer of Hebrews calls it a sharp two-edged sword that pierces the division between soul and spirit. And David said it was the meditation of his heart all day long. I think, The reason we lack in complete devotion to God is because we lack scripture saturation into the heart. Because you and I know the loves, the the things we love, we pass on. Nobody has to make you talk about what you love. Just follow a new parent on social media. We changed her first diaper. Here's a picture, here's a video if you wanna watch. He smiled for the first time at 9.05 a.m. Tuesday. You can watch a reel. He started to crawl, took his first step. They're just oozing what they love. Do you know people who love reading? You do when they talk about it. I read this book. This book's on my shelf. Have you read this book? Do you know people who love hiking and the outdoors? They'll tell you all about, you don't have to ask. You know people who love sports? (laughs) He'll talk about it. People love their work. They'll talk about it. You talk about what you love. So the fundamental question comes when we think about the method for complete devotion as we're going to move to the family and to all of life is, do we love him? 
see, that's why it's got to get written on the heart. Because when the scripture begins to get written on the heart, guess what? You talk about what you love. And that's the next point. The truth of scripture impressed in the family. Verse seven, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You see, it's gotta get in your heart and as it gets in your heart, guess where it gets? In your family. God's first small group. That's the original small group by God's design, the family. I want growth there. I want Christian nurture there. But he knows that parents have to have their hearts transformed so that what they love comes out so that they talk about it from breakfast to bedtime. That's really the point of verse seven. And he says, you know, here in verse seven, you shall bind in verse eight, bind it as a sign on your hand shall be as frontlets between your eyes. That, that picture of your hand being your, your action, that picture of your eyes, the forehead being your purpose. What would our children, the next generation say about, what, what would they say about our faith? What would they say our faith is by our purpose and our actions? What would they say we believe? You know, I'm about to have a senior graduate and go to college. And I'm doing a lot of reflection on what I missed. Opportunities missed to bring these things to bear. And, you know, I missed them. Not because I didn't have a strategy, but a lot of the times I missed them, it's because of my heart. Because of my heart. You see, the, the issue of family devotion and family discipleship has less to do with method and a lot more to do with how's your heart? Where's the scripture hiding in your heart? As a larger family of God, even think about this command. This isn't just about being a parent. It's about being an aunt and an uncle and a grandparent and a mentor and a friend and a fellow church member of people that just joined and baptismal vows that we would bring the attention to the next generation of the word of God the glory of God and the, the two greatest threats it seems to me to our heart in bringing this to the next generation is one distraction and second laziness. The greatest threat right now does not seem to be mere pleasure, it seems to be distraction. Our devices, our screens, we're so distracted from conversations we, we would rather peruse and search about what we love or text about what we love than talk about what we love. Eyeball to eyeball, Jesus conversations. But laziness, R.C. Sproul says, here then is the real problem of our negligence. We fail in our duty to study word of God, not so much because it's difficult to understand, not so much because we think it's dull and boring, but because it's work. Our problem is not a lack of intelligence or a lack of passion. Often our problem is we're lazy. But if your heart's in it and your heart's being transformed, you'll do the work. You'll get the word into the next generation. And I read this this week, a study from Pew Research in March 2023. And this is one in February and one in 2023. So in February, 70% 
of this was a study of white evangelical parents. 70% of white evangelical parents say it's important to them that their kids share their religious beliefs. But in March, seven of 10 adults under 30, 18 to 29, said they haven't taken part in a religious service in the last quarter. Where's the disconnect? The parents say it's their desire to give their kids their faith. You have a generation in that 18 to 29 that are going, we didn't take it and we don't want it. Might it have something to do with the saturation of the heart and the conversation from breakfast to bedtime? Lastly, the truth of Scripture is to be set always before us. In verse 8 and verse 9, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on your doorpost of your house and on your gates. This is a literary term called merisms, which is two opposing terms that imply everything between them. So your house and your way means it should be a part of everything. When you lie down and when you rise, it should be a part of everything. From your house to the city gates. See, houses didn't have gates. The city had gates. From your house to your city, everything. That, that God talk, scripture talk, gospel talk, gospel reality should encompass everything in between. Wherever, whenever, and whatever you do. Proverbs 6 says that. When you walk, they'll lead you. When you lie down, they'll watch over you. When you awake, they'll talk with you. So how do we do that? Let me give you some practical tools. One is you could go on our website to every sermon you can print out further up, further in, resources for continued study produced every week for further study on the sermon. And in this little column right here, it's called the family dinner table. Do you want to have a conversation at the dinner table about the sermon? You don't even have to think. Just pull this up and have it. It's something. I mean, the question of the home becomes, are we doing anything? Are we talking about this? I mean, don't reach for ludicrous goals. Just let's start with something. Another thing, like your refrigerator is the, the billboard of your home. Post stuff there. I mean, my kids spend more time staring at that thing than anywhere else. Put something there, put scripture there. My wife is so good about putting scripture or quotes or hymns, things that just get it in the, the home from bedtime to breakfast. If you have young kids, we, we used to listen to seeds of worship, family worship. If I put it on right now, my kids could sing every word. It's good music. It's scripture song, that's it. As you're going in the car or, or consider the navigator's topical memory system. There's now an app for the topical memory system. Memorize scripture. I remember when I was in China, I took time to do the topical memory system. I was in my, young, my late, early 20s. To this day, I know all those verses. It got in me. The older you get, the harder it is. Start young. Scripture memories, why our Sunday schools try to do this with our kids. Do something. Take action today, do something to bring the scripture further into your heart and into your home. 
I close with this story. I've told it before. You don't know what we preached last week, much less four years ago. So uh, it's all right. I'll tell it again, right? Hein Pham. Hein Pham, he's a Vietnamese interpreter. He worked real closely with the American military forces as a civilian during the war. He also worked very closely with missionaries. He had come to faith in Christ through his interpreting work with missionaries. But shortly after Vietnam fell to the communists, Hein was arrested and accused of aiding and abetting the Americans. His captors sought to indoctrinate him in communist ideals and turn him against the West. And it took its toll and he began to say, maybe I've been lied to. Maybe God does not exist. Maybe the West is deceiving. And he stopped praying. He began to be awakened to communist teaching. As further punishment, he was assigned the dreaded chore of cleaning latrines for the prison. For toilet paper, the guards used the English Bible. Pham was forbidden to access to the Word of God. But he saw the English words. He began to wash the paper and let it dry. And one night in his bed, he had one of those pieces of paper and it was Romans chapter 8. He wept, holding the scripture. Faith returned. Their trash was his treasure. From then on, Hein Pham asked the officers, I want latrine duty all the time. And he began to gather the scriptures. He treasured it. He had to have it. What the world called trash, he found as the treasure of his heart. You got far easier access. Sink it in. Bring it in the home. Bring it to the city. There's one God. He's worthy of all. Let's pray. Our God, we were so sorry for our casual, flippant, often following of you. You deserve all. The problem is our hearts are distracted, they're lazy, they're following other things and listening to the world to trust our hearts. And we need your scripture to narrate our hearts. So get it in deep, let it come out in home and city. And let it come out naturally, lovingly, because our hearts are changed. Lord, would you renew us towards complete devotion? We ask you this for your honor and glory in Christ's name. Amen.